0: Hey y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm gonna walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 257, I have the privilege of chatting with longtime friend and author of the new book, The Complicated Heart, Sarah May. Dysfunction does not have to be
1: your legacy. It does not have to be your identity and you do not have to pass it on to your kids. It doesn't matter if you were born into it, married into it, or you created it yourself. It does not have to be your destiny or identity. There is always victory on the table. We just have to be willing to pick it up.
0: Sarah May lives with her family in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Amish country. She has three kiddos and two naughty puppies, a husband of 16 years who's a woodworker, and today she's sharing some of the harder places in her story. But the goal is hope for y'all, to share the healing that God's brought, to remind us that our past does not determine our future. I first heard a little bit of Sarah May share her story from a stage probably about seven years ago, and I remember thinking, the world needs this. And again, I was reminded this week when a listener reached out with a little bit of her story that there are so many of us walking around in bondage to our past. And God is asking us to hand it over to Him so He can release us and we can walk forward in freedom. And I'm so thankful for Sarah May's new book, The Complicated Heart, and her podcast that is helping walk alongside so many women who are seeking healing. And even though there's a lot of hope, and Sarah May is such a gracious, lighthearted voice on heavy topics— This may be another earbud episode depending on the ages of your kids. Speaking of kids, I don't know if your kids like to eat dinner, but mine sure do. And I don't always have the bandwidth to come up with a good meal plan. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to one of this month's sponsors, it's Dish, And what they are is a subscription meal planning service. Once a week, you get a PDF in your inbox and it has several meals planned out with the grocery list and how to prep everything and how to cook it so that you don't have to think. And what I also love is that Allison's really thoughtful about matching up the food with what's in season. So that makes it cheaper and it exposes me to some newer vegetables and helps me maybe feel like it's fall when in Dallas, it's 95 degrees. Foods like beef stroganoff and carrots and mustard chicken thighs with acorn squash. What says fall more than acorn squash? If you wanna check it out, they're gonna give you a first month for $4. Go over to prepdish.com forward slash DMA to get your first month for only $4. That's prepdish.com forward slash D-M-A. All right, let's get to my chat with Sarah May. Here we go. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a long time coming. I know. I'm I'm glad that I'm, I'm here. Well, you have been on quite a journey to get to where you are now. I know you've been writing online and you hosted a conference um, and this is the first uh, book you've put out really sharing a lot of the depths of the pain and the wounds that you have experienced personally and God's healing in your life. And part of that came about because um, of the passing of someone very significant in your life. So tell us a little bit more about why this story is out there now. And then we'll go into because I really want to connect women with you and with your story, because I know other women are out there like you who have similar experiences, and I know that they will find a not alone moment through your story. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well,
1: the significant person that Heather's is referring to is my mother. And my mother passed away three years ago. And my mother was an alcoholic. And for Several of my formative teen years, I lived with her. My parents were divorced before I was a year old. And so the story that I have to tell is really the story of how I learned to love and forgive my alcoholic mother. But more, more so, it's sort of all of the things that God has done. And when you discover you're in a tangled up, complicated abusive, manipulative relationship, how you deal with that. And then what are the practical things that you, you learn to do so that you can move forward in your life. And specifically with me, God called me to love and forgive my mom. So how do you do that while staying emotionally and spiritually healthy? And so this book isn't just my story, but I really wrote it because I want other daughters who are hurting and ticked off or broken or sad or wounded, to be able to go, yeah, I'm not alone. And also, here are some practical steps to help when you're trying to detangle from such a toxic relationship. So that's, that was really um, important to me to offer something to readers to say, here are some steps, you know, when they're going, well, how do you forgive when the wound is still open? Mm. How do I know when to leave and when to stay? Mm-hmm. Why should I forgive? Is it even possible that God answers impossible prayers today? You know, all of these questions, we have lots of questions. How do I not pass dysfunction onto my kids? All of these kinds of things are really what the book through a story is is my offering to those who are
0: hurting. Mm. So many things that you just hit on. And <laughs> <laughs> I know that, yeah, there's the mom who is feeling I'm too wounded to be a good mom right now. She's believing that lie or I could never forgive. You just have no idea what I've been through or um, I don't know where to start. And what your story does, it's written in first person and it's chronicling this slow, like you said, untangling of lies and and awareness. I think when you're in a story, you don't know that your story is dysfunctional fully. Right.
1: Right. You, don't you understand
0: don't. The, the depths of the dysfunction right. until you start meeting other people or you start hearing other stories or something intersects with your life. And I think you do a great job of just inviting us into that slow revealing and setting up those boundaries. And so. And I would say this, too. I, I said it was for the daughters who are hurting. Yeah. But I also want to say this. It's for the moms
1: yeah. who have messed yeah. up. We all mess yeah. up. Right. Yeah. To say like it's not over. Like there is still hope for you too. I was able to go and speak to a group of addicts, um, Mm -hmm. whose children don't talk to them anymore, basically. And to say like, it's not too late for you. Like you can make changes. Um, there can be reconciliation. There can be things done. And so there's hope for you too. If you're somebody who is the alcoholic or you're somebody who, who who has neglected your kids or you're somebody who has been who hasn't learned how to not be in a manipulative relationship with your child. There's hope for you, too.
0: Mm. We all need that. Whether we have the addiction or we've wounded in some other way, we all have the belief that we're failing at some point. And so that surrender of, OK, God ultimately has something greater going on and we're all in process is such a good message for all of us to hear. And I think one aspect of your story that it it made me realize when women reach out with their different wounds that they're sharing with me, Mm -hmm. sometimes a scenario of having an alcoholic parent, you're not just dealing with that one piece. It's the lifestyle that invites in a lot of other woundings. And so I I would love if you would share like some of the parts of your story that another person listening right now may connect with. So sure. she can know that she's not the only one. Like, what were some yeah. of the aspects of your growing up experience that you've had to heal from some of the wounds sure. you had to heal from?
1: So I had lived with my dad for most of my young life because uh, he got custody of me when I was 14. I wanted to live with my mom. I felt like a daughter should live with her mother. And I had, I had seen my mom in the summers. So I lived with my dad during the school year. I would visit my mom in the summers and she was like the coolest. Like I wanted to be just like her or Madonna. That's what I would say. And when I was with her, it, there was just like so much freedom. She was cool. She would talk to me like, like she was real open about things. Like I literally thought she was the coolest. And when I was 14, she was like, you know, you can live with me, right? Mm. Like if you were to tell a judge you want to live with me, he would let you because you're old enough to make that decision. So my poor sweet dad who loved me so well, um, I went to him in my teenage confidence and was like, I want to live with my mom and you can't say no because I'll, you know, tell the judge I want to go live with her.
0: Mm.
1: And what choice did he have really? And I don't think he knew the depth of my mom's problems. And so he reluctantly said yes. So at 14, I was in Pennsylvania at 14. I moved to Georgia in this small little town. I move in with my mom her boyfriend, who's half her age, he was like 20, she was 40. My, my younger sister, who I'd never lived with since, you know, we have different dads, and uh, their dog. <laughs> and so I move in and everything is awesome. At first, like, I get to do anything I want with my room. I don't have any rules, really, like, it is just a teenager's dream. Of course, when you get older, you realize, oh, rules are important. And there's <laughs> reasons we have them. But yeah. As a teenager, I'm like, this is the best. Mm -hmm. Well, after about a month or so of living with my mom, I start to realize because she would get real mean. And by mean, I mean, she was extremely sarcastic, very cutting, never had an edit, said whatever was on her mind. Um, Like I remember coming in from school one day and I had braces on and and I smiled at her and she was like, oh, you're so ugly. Like, don't smile. Like just into her, that was just she was just being flippant. You know, but Mm -hmm. to a 14 year old, that's like, you never want to smile again. (laughs) And you don't forget it. And you don't forget it. And you don't forget it. And she was just um, very verbally abusive Mm. and um, sometimes physically abusive, but more so verbally, you know, so I'm watching this and it's real confusing to me. And finally I realized, oh, she drinks a lot. You know, her and her boyfriend, they drink a lot. And I don't mean beer. I mean, like, you know, vodka, whiskey, whatever. I must have seen some show. I don't think Dr. Phil was around at the time, but something like that, you know, where where like someone's an alcoholic and then there's an intervention and like everybody hugs and the person goes goes and gets help and all is well in the world. And so I thought, oh, my mom doesn't know. Like she doesn't know why like how she is. So I will enlighten her and then we will hug and she will get help and everything will be great. Mm. So I went, I remember very specifically, she was out on her screened-in porch and she was smoking her cigarette and drinking her vodka. And I walk outside and I said, you know, mom, I I really need to talk to you. And, you know, she kind of rolls her eyes, you know, she's like, what? And through so many words, I finally said, like, I think you're an alcoholic. Mm. And she just laughs and says, so what? Mm. Okay, well, the show did not say how to deal with this. (laughs) Huh. So I was wait a minute wait a minute you're supposed to be like thank you. And I was like, "Well, mom, you know, when you drink, like you get really really mean." And and she just, you know, she's just looking at me like like I am an idiot, you know, like rolling her eyes drinking her drink. And you know, of course then the fire in me starts to seethe, right? Because she's not taking me seriously. And I think, you know, I'm 14, I'm pretty immature. And I think, what do you say to a parent? Because you want to hurt them now because they've hurt you. Right. And I think, oh, the ultimate thing must be to say that you don't love them. Mm. And they had to remember, there's a 14 year old brain. And I said, I don't even think I love you anymore. Mm. And she just laughed. She -hmm. just laughed. And that was crushing because nothing I said or did meant anything to her. Like it didn't carry any weight. And so I remember I was that either that night or close to that night. I remember I was in the bathtub and I could hear her in the kitchen, like making her drink. And it was a slatted bathroom door. So you could hear, you know, in and out. And I have this little pink daisy razor on the side of the bathtub. And I just remember looking at it and thinking, I wonder if you can slit your wrists with this kind of razor. Because I didn't know. And I didn't want to die. I just wanted to hurt her. Right, And I remember yelling out, I'm going to kill myself and her saying, go ahead. I dare you. Mm. And that that was it for me. I mean, I just bawled into the water because I felt like she doesn't you know, I just felt so unloved and so confused. And really that for me began a detaching of myself from her. So partly I'm tangled up with her because she's my mom, but then partly I'm like, I'm on my own. And going back to my dad just wasn't even an option in my brain. I don't know why, but it wasn't. And I had a stepmom that I didn't get along with, with my dad. So there was that too. And so I basically decided like, I'm on my own now. And so I got together with a boyfriend who his he didn't have a dad, his mom was on drugs. And so we just became each other's safe places. I wouldn't even say that we loved each other so much as we just were each other's Refuge, But part of the relationship with my mom, even with some of my detaching, was very, very manipulative. I always wanted to fix things with us. Like I always tried, even though I was angry and hurt and there was a fire inside of me. And also she did this thing that I only learned recently, actually, this term, which is gaslighting. Okay. Okay. So gaslighting is when somebody manipulates you to the point psychologically, basically, that you, you begin to question your own sanity. Mm. And so, right. And so I never knew like what was up or what was down because I, it'd be like this. This is the example I give. It's as if somebody punches you in the face and you have a bloody nose from it. And you're like, ow, like, why did you do that? And they say to you, I didn't do anything like you ran into my fist. Like, yeah. why would you run into my fist like that? That was so rude. Mm. And all of a sudden you're like, no, I didn't run into your fist. But they're so good at being like, yes, you did. Like, mm. why would I hit you? Like that you begin to question your own sanity. You're like, oh, oh, gosh. Your own I'm, interpretation
0: of the circumstances. Right? Like, I'm yeah. such yeah. an
1: idiot. Like, why would I run into their fist? Like, I'm so dumb. And then what you do is you beat your own self up. Yeah. And you lose all self-confidence and you lose the ability to have to have any um, confidence in your opinions or what you believe because you think you're crazy. And so that's what happened with my mom and I. I began to think I must be crazy because like uh, that was our entire relationship was her. And I don't even think she did it on purpose necessarily. I think she was just so smooth at it because perhaps maybe that's how she was treated that we were in such a tangle of such a manipulative relationship. And so um, so as far as listeners right now, who might be able to relate, I would say that if you've been in a relationship where you think you're crazy, you don't know what's up from what's down, you think maybe you're being manipulated like that, that's a little bit of what it looks like.
0: So before I go and tell the rest of the story, I should stop and see if you have questions. I mean, I've read it. I've heard you. You know, I just I grieve with you. Mm -hmm. I just want to take a second and be sad with you because God values you. And he loves you. And I know his desires were not for you to have those experiences, to have your life laughed at, that the loss of it was um, unimportant to your mom. Um, And just the the layers of brokenness in her own heart that you share and just some of her journal entries. I'm just sad at the world that's so broken and not like he intended. And so I just want to be sad with you for a second and with other and other people that are listening that I'm just sad yes. that this is a part of our stories. Right. And let me just say this because people are listening and you mentioned journal entries and they're probably yeah. like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> um,
1: so in the book, The Complicated Heart, Loving Even When It Hurts, which that's the book title.
0: Yes. Way to go. We,
1: um, I not, not only tell my story, but I include at the end of every chapter journal entries from my mom. Like what she was thinking, what she was going through. And some of them are from early in her life, and some of them are from the time I was with her, and some of them are from later. So that you can really get an understanding of her own voice in the story. Because when I wrote this book, I didn't want it to just be my voice because I believe that there's a thread in everybody's life that causes them to be what they become. And that that's not an excuse. <laughs> no, right. But it's a reason, you know, I've been given the ability with my mom, with my mom's journals to essentially trace her life in a way. And so it was really important to me that her voice be heard in this as well, because if it was just mine, it just didn't feel like a fair perspective. I felt like when I told this story, I wanted to honor my mom, even though she did some awful things. I still felt like she needed a voice in the story. So
0: that's what Heather's referring to with the journal
1: entries yes. that are in
0: the, they're in the book. Mm-hmm. Did she know before she past that you were thinking about writing this out? Or that did she know that you had her journal entries or any of that? No, no, she did not. And I didn't get
1: those journals until after she passed away. And so it was a real prayerful, like, how do I honor my mom through this, like which journals to pick sifting through them, mm-hmm. which, by the way, was a very gutting experience to, oh, to do man. finally read how my mom felt what her life was like. You know, it's it was the hardest part of doing this book, but the reason I felt, well, one, I needed to share this story because that's what God did in my life. He did a lot of miraculous things and this is his story and I needed to tell it. But I had told her on her deathbed, like, I'm going to share a story. And as I was reading through her journals after she died, you know, she said she had journal entries where she said like, I wish I could do something to help others. I wish I could write. Um, I don't have the book with me, Heather. I don't know if you have it, but I in the very Okay, so in the beginning, do you have that little journal entry right in the very beginning where she says, I wish I could write and tell of well, I can't remember what it says yes, off the top um, of it. It
0: says data unknown, but it says, I wish part of my purpose would be to write, to give something to others through my writing. God is just waiting for the right time for me to begin my new life. Powerful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So this is why also it's called the complicated heart, is because this is a woman, my mother was somebody who claimed Jesus. Okay. Yeah. But she did not live like it (laughs) at all. Right. And so it's very complicated and very confusing, but I knew that she wanted to help people. I knew she wanted to write. So I had to find a way to have integrity with my own story and tell the truth, which has a lot of pain, painful things. Um, and also give her that opportunity as well.
0: We will get back to Sarah Mae's story in just a minute, and you'll hear how God intersected her life. Before we do, I wanna give a shout out to one of this month's sponsors. It's Fab Fit Fun. And they just released their fall 2019 box. In it, you're gonna get full-size health, beauty, fitness, wellness products. You get to pick and choose which ones you want in your box. I love it as a mom of boys. I'm not always up on the hippest, coolest, latest, cleanest products to help take care of my body. So I love that the FabFitFun team does the work for me and curates some amazing things, products that I'm using every day. If you want to check them out, go to FabFitFun.com. Everything in the box is valued at over $200. It retails for $49.99. But if you use the code DMA10, you can save $10 off your first box. So go to FabFitFun.com, use that code DMA10, and save $10 off your first box. All right, let's get back to Sarah May's story. Here we go. Well, it's incredible to think, like you said, if if we know an addict or someone listening is one, like those hopes and those dreams, they don't fall on deaf ears to God. Like he heard your mom's heart and he does redeem her own story, which you go into in the very end, but that you are, I mean, you totally are honoring her by putting those in and us to see that we are so all sinful and complicated and dealing with so many wounds. And yes, you just told a little bit of your story and there's so much more, I'd love to get into some of the people and the ways that God began the healing process for you. Okay. Like who kind of stepped in and you can, or you can share more. You said you wanted to stop for questions, but I know that, you know, there's with that boyfriend, mm-hmm. get yourself in some complicated scenarios and yeah, yeah. Um, abortion is a part of your story. And if anyone wants help or healing there, I know that you are a great resource for that. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to say anything about that before we go into healing, but that's part of your healing too. So,
1: well, let me, let me say a couple of things. So I, you're, this is great. I love how you're, you're guiding this. Thank you so much. So (laughs) no, really? Like we're just holding hands. We're like, we're going to go. Yeah. I love it. I love the whole, how you say that we're just holding hands. So I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not a Christian. But my stepmom was Catholic, so I would go to the Catholic church with her, but it didn't mean anything to me. But there was like this Bible next to my bed. And I remember sometimes as a little girl picking it up, looking like trying to read the first page and then closing it promptly back up. But I had this little plaque on my dresser, you know, this little prayer thing that was like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. So as a little girl, I just remember praying that prayer. But I didn't know who God was, but I sort of had that innocent childlike belief in God. But I remember what cemented my belief in the Lord. And I'm just going to give a brief snippet because I talk about it in the book. But so my sister and I had different dads. But when she was really young, and I was probably nine, she was maybe three, something like that, she was kidnapped by her dad like she was supposed to go on a visitation and then never came back and so we didn't know where she was and I remember as this little girl praying every single night that we would find my sister and after like I think it was six months or maybe a year or something like we found her Mm. and I remember because I had prayed so diligently to this God, I did not know that we would find her. And then we did. And so that, and I know that doesn't happen for everybody, but for me and my little girl heart that really cemented to me that there was a God. So I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know anything about anything. I just knew there is a God. He heard my prayer and my sister's home. So that was really significant for me. That was, I always say God wooed me. So that was one of the wooings. Mm. Then when I moved in with my mom and I was going through all this and there's some other stuff that happened. My, my ex stepbrother moved in with us. He was in my room. There was some abuse stuff there too. And he was older than me. Anyway, all these things were happening and my uncle came to visit and he gave me this cassette tape. Yes, cassette tape. And it was a singer named Clay Cross, and he was a Christian singer. And I never knew there was such thing as Christian music except for hymns. So I was 14 years old. I I had no idea there was such a thing. And so for whatever reason, probably because we didn't have iPhones or Internet, I put this tape in, you know, and I listened to it. And I just remember going up on my bunk bed and just bawling my eyes out, listening to this man sing about this God that I did not know. And I remember crying out and praying, God, I don't understand what this man is singing about, but I want it. Like I want whatever it is that he is singing about. And so that was like another wooing. And there were some other things he did. But looking back, I can see that God was with me through all of these difficult things. Even before I became a Christian, he was calling me and letting me know, like, I am with you. Like when I was in the pit, it's like he was sitting there with me with his arm around me, just like I'm here. And when you're ready, like we're going to walk out of this pit together. And so it was just so gentle and so kind. And I'll just give one more little example of that. When another thing, I I walked into a church, I think I was 14 or 15, and um, I had never been inside any church, but a Catholic church. So I had no idea that there were other (laughs) churches. I literally did not know. So and I just want to put a little plug here for people who are afraid to share the gospel or take people to church. I did not know who Jesus was at 14, 15 years old. I did not know there was any such thing as another church other than a Catholic church. I didn't know there was Christian music. I didn't know people waited to have sex till marriage. I mean, I didn't know all these things that I think as Christians we take for granted that everybody knows. I knew none of those things. Nothing. So I was having sex at 14. I didn't know. I had no idea. That's That's what you're supposed to do. So anyway, I go into this church and people are like clapping and singing and they have smiles on their faces. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? Like, what mm-hmm. the heck? Mm-hmm. And not knowing anything about the Holy Spirit, I just remember thinking like, wow, the Spirit is here. Like, this is crazy. Like, this is amazing. And I remember the pastor giving a sermon and like, I understood it. And again, these were just little wooing things. So God, I really believe, well, I know, <laughs> was with me at all these different places. So one of the significant things that happened, one of the devastating things of my life that happened was I had told you about the boyfriend and I, and we just became each other's everything. And of course, we start having sex because we don't know any different. We think that's what you're supposed to do in a relationship. Well, at 16 um, years old, I find out I am pregnant. And of course, I'm scared to death. And I remember calling up my Dad, and he was so kind and knew I was scared to death, and so he said something like, uh, maybe it'll be fun to have a little one running around I mean it you know not that he believed that necessarily, but like he knew I was so scared and then I called my grandmother who who I was so close to this is my dad's mom back in Pennsylvania, and she said, "I'll have it taken care of, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "I'm having my baby and then she hung up the phone mm. and so And my mom, when I told her, she completely checked out of the situation. Now, I came to find out later, she had two abortions of her own and had never dealt with them. So she had no idea how to talk to me or what to do. So she basically like panicked and just checked out like completely. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like I was totally on my own, except for this boyfriend who, you know, he doesn't know anything either. We're just totally floating on our own. (laughs) And I'm real sick, like morning to night, throwing up, like very, very sick, losing weight just really bad, dehydrated, but it was coming into summertime. So I had to live with my dad for the summer. So I leave my boyfriend, I'm pregnant and sick. I go back to Pennsylvania for the summer and there is just an absolute withdrawal of affection and love. Nothing. I think it's because nobody knows how to handle it or what to do. And so I am absolutely devastatingly alone and untouched. And on top of that, I am extremely sick. So I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't know what to do. I'm planning on having this baby. Everybody hates that idea. Finally, I'm like, well, maybe I could, you know, uh, give the baby for adoption. But everybody hates that idea, too. And basically, nobody wants to hear anything that I have to say. And it just gets more and more awful until one day my mom's mom, my other grandmother, comes to visit me, puts her arm around me. First time I feel touched or loved and says, you know, why don't you just have the abortion? Because then you can go to things like prom. And you can have a normal life and, you know, all that. And at this point, I was three months along. I was so tired, so sick and so alone that I was like, fine, like I'll have the abortion. Everybody will be happy and I'll be loved again. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the night before the abortion. I had to move in with my grandmother because my stepmom didn't want me around. Remember, she was Catholic. Yeah. So you were breaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And so I could not be there because she wanted the baby for herself. Mm. Um, and I was like, No, that's so weird. And so um, I remember crying and just holding my tummy and just telling the baby like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And the next day I go in, they changed my name because I had a prominent family and nobody they didn't want my name on record. So they changed my name. I had to go to the hospital, not the abortion clinic, because the doctor who was performing the abortion said I was way too fidgety. And they had to put me under completely. So they put me under completely. And my dad was with me the whole time. He was so sweet right before they wheeled me in. I mean, he held my hand. He didn't leave my side. Um, And then I wake up two days later in my grandmother's home. I go out to see her. She serves me toast with a smile. And we never talk about it. It was never talked about. And so this secret stayed with me for a very long time. And I didn't know all the ways it affected me because I was never... Allowed to face it, acknowledge it, think about like, I just couldn't even think about it. And that really devastates a soul and yeah. confuses a mind. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so there's lots more I go through the whole whole story of that in the book as well. But yeah, there's a a lot of pretty incredible things that happen with that too.
0: I would be talking for like five hours. Oh, I mean, literally reading your book, I was like, okay, so how do I fit all this in? Because I just want to talk. And that's why it's so great. You have a podcast. You have this book. You point people to other resources. If they are connecting with you, Sarah May is your gal. But um, I also, I interviewed a good friend of mine who shares her story. And she and her mom both share, um, unfortunately, the story of abortion. And they have a ministry. I'll link to that in the show notes. And... Yeah, there's so many resources now, thankfully, that we're not because shame and guilt in the dark grow. And they're like these yes. rooted things. The enemy loves to take sealer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And put it way down deep. And then we're dealing with symptoms and we don't know. You know, we're yep. just like trimming off the symptoms and the branches and not realizing there's some core rooted thing. And so yes. I feel like You are getting to the roots. If we're talking about the heart and that's really the soul and we're saying, what is making this complicated and tangled? It's asking God, where did this start? Like what event that I may have pushed so far down in my memory. I was two years old when it happened. And God is so kind to reveal what that event or circumstance or choice led you to start believing about who you are, who he is who other people are and that you can confess that and get full forgiveness and move forward and freedom. And then Jesus can say, I was right there too. Your dad was there, but I was right there too. And this is not mark you as unlovable, which I think is another lie that can come on. Um, I've talked to some moms that having abortion as part of their story impacts their future mom story because you started being a mom being 16 and that concept now you're and now you are raising your kids and you're thinking, how do I do this? Well, and the enemy will start layering lies about how you can't. Mm. What would you say to a mom who's feeling similarly that she's believing these lies because she didn't have a mom who modeled well for her or because she maybe made that choice and she's struggling with that? What did you overcome to embrace motherhood? Yeah, because I know you're an awesome mom. I know you are, Mm. even though none of us want to hear it and we all hear failure so often. I know you and you're a great, great mom. So Mm. what have you done to kind of untangle that piece? Yeah, sure. So I would say this loud and clear. (laughs)
1: Dysfunction does not have to be your legacy. It does not have to be your identity. And you do not have to pass it on to your kids it doesn't matter if you were born into it, married into it, or you created it yourself. It does not have to be your destiny or identity. There is always victory on the table. We just have to be willing to pick it up. And so here's what I mean by that. For I'll just give you as like some four examples. When there is something like abortion, and you could you could put that in any category of things that happen with wounds or sins or whatever. Okay, so yeah. we're just yeah. talking about abortion, but there's lots of things. But abortion is an interesting one because there's so much shame. There's so much confusion. uh, There's so much secrecy. It's a very, very secret thing. And we don't know always how to react or respond to that. And so with that specifically, I want to say a couple of things. If you've had an abortion and you've not ever faced it, dealt with it, gone through counseling, which I highly recommend, I want to say this. You have permission to grieve. I had even gone through counseling for my abortion, but there's still so much shame that I remember being in a room of women at a conference and the speaker said, if you have lost a baby, stand up. And she was referring to miscarriage, but she didn't word it that way. She said, if you've lost a baby, stand up. And everybody, like literally, like most of the room stood up and I didn't stand Hmm. because I thought I have no right to stand. The shame was so thick. Hmm. And I want to tell you that you have every right to stand because you are a mother and you lost that baby. And I know that the guilt is heavy. And I know that even if you made that choice, most people make the choice because they feel like they have no choice. It's a terrible, awful, complicated situation. And I just want you to know that you have permission to grieve, you have permission to stand. You are completely valid. You are a mom with that baby, too. And here's the other thing is that when you are willing to face your abortion, I know it's painful, I know there's so many things with it, but when you're willing, Here's the beautiful thing. Not only do you get free, but you're going to create an atmosphere of freedom in your home. Because I had dealt with my abortion, because even though it was very difficult and I remember throwing the book I was going through across the room and I went through all of emotions, you know, anger, depression, you know, all the things. I have been able to tell my oldest daughter. I told her when she she's 13 now. I told her when she was 12 about the abortion. Mm. And what that does is that frees a family because now we can talk about it. If she ever comes home pregnant, she knows that like, I love her, that I support her, that she can tell me that I will pray and, and, and help her and do anything I can. But even if she had an abortion, which I would hope to God she wouldn't, but even if she did, we love her still. It opens up so much freedom in a family. Because when secrets are kept and things aren't dealt with, the enemy just uses that bondage and that darkness over and over again. And so if you do not want to create a legacy of dysfunction, which you don't have to do, you need to begin to let God show you. Ask him to search your heart and bring the things up that he wants you to deal with. And then be willing and be humble enough and brave enough with him by your side to deal with them.
0: Yes. And if you want that Bible study, I'll put it in the show notes, too. It's called Forgiven and Set Free was the one you went through. Yes, but go, do it with another person. Please yeah, don't yeah, do yeah. it by yourself. Don't do it by yourself. Yeah.
1: And crisis and pregnancy clinics, um, I, they get a bad rap in the media, but the reality is mine, I had an absolutely wonderful experience with the most gracious, kind, gentle woman. And I think most places are actually like that. And it's free. Post-abortion counseling is free. So that's, right.
0: that's yeah. so good. So as you started, you know, I love that you shared that you, you talked to your daughter because that was going to be one of my questions. Like, do, mm-hmm. Will they read this book? My daughter
1: turns. So this is the providence of God and how amazing and wonderful he is. My story started at 14 in this particular story. This book starts when I'm 14 years old. My daughter turns 14 the day after it releases. Stop. I have goosebumps everywhere. Right. To see what God has done, what my life was like at 14 and the redemption bringing me to know him and then having my children and my my firstborn daughter is turning 14 the day after this book releases. I can't even tell you. I mean, I bawled my eyes out when I realized this, what God is showing me, the redemptive nature and how kind he is. So I am planning on letting her read it. Yeah. I have been I have a dear wise friend who's cautioned me against that. So I'm gonna pray about it a little bit because it is heavy. <laughs> heavy. But at this point I do think I'm gonna let her read it because we do have a lot of open conversations. Yeah. And we'll continue to have conversations as she reads it. And um and quite frankly, she has a lot of friends in public school who have stories like I did. Yeah. And they all wanna read it. And so it's a That's real awesome. ministry. Yeah, so I could
0: see a a teen study or something, or or is yes. that in the <laughs> I could see you have no idea how bad. Yes, this is yeah. all
1: my heart to be able yeah. to do these. I'm a youth group leader now, and okay,
0: um, okay, been with my girls
1: since sixth grade. And now they're going into ninth, and I see such a need to to have something for this age, like for these girls. That um, yeah, I would really like to create something, but I think this book is good. I I mean, I think that you can. It's really, I would say for. High school and young college women, too, would be really good resource for them. This one. I mean, this
0: book. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so thankful for all the mentors and the older women who walked alongside you. I know Sally took you under her wing. And I just think that that's another thing. If you are in a place where you were wounded by a mom or are being wounded by a mom and you've had to set up some boundaries, that's something. Sarah goes into an, a whole another conversation. Right, um, right. There's a lot of practical stuff in there. There's too. a <laughs> lot of practical stuff. And I know John Townsend came on the show to talk about boundaries, but Sarah goes into how do you do that with when the other person is is more severe and it's harder to set up those boundaries. But I'm just so thankful we have the option to reach out to older women and the church to fill in the gaps. Um, there's kind of a grief of wanting a parent to be something that they're not and the loss of that, the disconnect between expectations and reality and that God is kind to fill in the gaps with other women and just an encouragement to do that, to ask someone to be brave. Um,
1: Mother wounds are a real thing. They're well, a real I just thing. Say, yeah. Like if you're out there and I hear a lot from women who say like, Oh, I'm fine. It's just stupid. Like I'm just being dumb. Like it's not really a big deal, mm. but of course it is. And it's very valid to be sad when you did not get what you should have had, meaning God designed mothers and fathers to love and nurture their children. And when we don't get that, that is a valid loss. It is not stupid. It is not silly. It is a valid thing to mourn over, to grieve. So I just wanted to say that for those who um, think it's dumb. It's, it's not dumb. It's not
0: dumb. Was it awkward for you to ever, like, accept that help from other people or to ask for it? How did that go for you? Like, were you like, yes, bring it on, bring it on. Or were you more hesitant? Well, I didn't realize the depth of
1: my mother wounds until I was in college, until I was about okay. a junior in college. I didn't realize how bad I wanted a mom. I was so angry for so long
0: mm-hmm.
1: that I didn't know how sad I was. <laughs> mm. And the, the weirdest thing triggered it. Uh, my mom didn't send me a birthday card which in the scheme of everything that she did, (laughs) that's like nothing. But that was what broke the camel's back. Like I was devastated. And it was then that I was like, I don't have a mom. And plus, like at this point, I'm watching my friends be able to call their moms and talk about boys and like they cuddle up with their moms to watch movies. And like, I don't have any of this. I remember trying to cuddle up with my mom once and she called me a lesbian. Like, so once you get under the anger, (laughs) you're just really, really sad. And I was really sad. So I had a lot I had to work through before I could even be open to a woman being mothering towards me. And I'm blessed because, and I mean that in the very truest sense, I have an amazing mother-in-law. I have Mm -hmm. such a kind, wise mother-in-law and she'll never be able to fill that mother need so to speak, like that's not going to get filled on this earth, but God is so good and so kind to provide in other ways. And so it's okay. I had a counselor tell me, you can have a good life and have joy even in the midst of unmet needs. And that is so true. It's so true.
0: Mm. Sarah, this is amazing. I'm so glad you're (laughs) out with this. Um, And we have this, this resource and all that you're doing. I know God's just getting started. Um, And I'm so thankful for you. I just want to say thank you for all those years ago when you took a risk and started that conference for bloggers. My entire story is dependent on that step of faith you made and the relationships I made at that conference and just so many good things God's used you. You will never know until you're in heaven. And I just wanted to acknowledge that and encourage you to know that God has used you in so many ways you'll never know. And I know that he's he's just getting started. So.
1: Oh, that's so good. Thank you so much, Heather. And I feel thank the same way. You. What you're doing for moms here is just such a gift. Yeah. That's well, thank you, Sarah. Where can they find you online? I want to say that before sure. we can sign off. they can find me at sarame.com and there you'll be able to find resources. You'll be able to find links to my book. You'll be able to find links to my podcast. My podcast is also called the complicated heart podcast. Uh, so if you just go to
0: dot com, you'll find everything. Fabulous. Thank you, Sarah, so much. Thank you so much. I understand that not everybody's story is complicated and maybe you can't relate to Sarah May's story, but you know what? When God leads me to these episodes, it's typically for the one. And if you are that one, I want to pray over you right now. Lord, uh, I lift up the person who's listening, who um, perhaps Sarah May's story brought some things to the surface that have been undealt with for years. I pray, Lord, that you would be so present that the enemy would have no hold over discouraging her or him from getting the help that you have ready for them. Whether it's having a conversation with a therapist, whether it's talking to a family member, whether it's simply coming to you, God. I pray that we would no longer be walking around in captivity to the parts of our story that were placed on us by others, our family of origin, or by choices we made from that place of brokenness, and we feel guilt and shame about them. I pray, Lord, supernatural freedom over anyone who's listening. I pray that they would feel your peace and your love and that they would know who they are in you. I thank you, God, that we get to partner with you in doing the work that you're already doing, that you are so patiently pursuing each person that you long intimate relationships with them in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you all for trusting me. Um, we will be back next week to talk about sensory processing disorder. And then we have an episode on Enneagram and marriage. So all good things coming up. All right. See you next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast.